Okay, so let's go ahead and get started. So uh, a couple things before we get into the lesson this morning. Um, I hope you guys had the chance to be a part of uh, Vision Sunday last Sunday. Um, if not, I would strongly recommend you guys to listen to it online. Um, right now, the church doesn't have anything like through podcasts like what we have going on, but you can go to the church website and you can go to it on the browser on your phone, but it's a little bit more inconvenient. But it's totally worth getting on there, downloading the file and listening to it. Um, everything that we do in the youth ministry this year is going to be centered around that vision. And uh, just as an example, I know the ladies had a great uh, study on Friday, uh, and that went really well. Uh, the guys, Saturday morning, we got together for breakfast, those of you that could, um, and it was smaller than usual. But we took the opportunity to um, not go through the book, but actually to talk about uh, what we could even be doing as guys in the youth ministry, uh, just to change things up a little bit. And one of the big things that we talked about is to prioritize our prayer time. Um, because we spent some time talking about how we feel that we have all the elements that are there within the youth ministry, but there's some disconnection between all of us when it comes to our heart towards the ministry and towards the Lord. And if there's anything that I've learned growing up, um, not only in church, but then participating in ministry, is that when my heart is not right with the Lord, nothing else is right. Um, I'm going to be struggling to get in my Bible, I'm going to be struggling with praying. I'm going to be struggling with having a good testimony with people. Uh, I'm more likely to make bad decisions. Um, I mean, just everything tends to fall apart. And so um, we just spent some time talking about that and talking about even our own lives and our own stuff. And so we're going to be praying more together as a group. And I want you to be praying more individually as well. Um, because it's very easy for us to forget about one another throughout the week. And so we need to be more intentional about our time. Um, and I think that we've gotten away from that over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, we did a study on prayer and it was great. And I think a lot of us have let those things go. And we need to bring some of that stuff back because we can have everything in place. Um, but if, if our heart is not right and if we're not fellowshipping with the Lord, then everything else is just going to, it's just going to go backward. We're not going to accomplish anything and we're going to be very, very unfruitful. So... That's why we prayed this morning. That's why we're going to do that more on Wednesdays. And I don't want this to become something that's just routine. Oh, well, it's prayer time again. You know, I don't want that to happen. I want you to actually take the time to refocus and to recenter uh, yourself with the Lord and to get right with him. All right? Okay. Okay, so um, with that, we're, we're back in doctrinal studies. And so this morning is going to be something that I know you guys have heard a ton. And so I decided to do it from a, a slightly different perspective because we're going to be talking about the doctrine of sin and salvation. And so I wanted to just look at this from a different angle. Um, so we're going to be looking at, at this this morning. And then next week, um, I'm thinking there's a topic that's been mulling over my mind quite a bit. And I don't know if it's going to be a one-weeker, two-week, three-week, 15-week. I don't know. But I've been thinking about doing the doctrine of time um, and understanding time and how God has set up time. And it's, uh, it's something that I've been thinking on and off about for a while. And uh, I think it will really help you guys out in your theology about the Bible and understanding the scriptures and just little things that just, I don't know, it just blows my mind whenever I think about it. So I don't know if we're going to start that next week or not, but it's coming soon. So if it's not next week, it'll definitely be the week after, but we're going to spend some time talking about that. So that should be kind of cool. All right, so let's go ahead and pray one more time, get into this message, and then um, uh, just be ready for whatever God has for us in the main service. Lord God, thank you for this morning, and I first of all just want to thank you for your grace and your mercy towards me personally. Um, I fall so short of you each and every day, and 
there are days that I think that I'm an okay Christian, and that's just not true because I, just by nature, according to my flesh, uh, there is no good that is in me whatsoever. Um, the only good that is in me uh, is your spirit. And so I'm very thankful for that, but I need to remember that because on my own, I'm going to make mistakes every single time. And so what I really need to do is I just need to yield my entire self to you every day and just remember that I belong to you and let you use me in whatever way that you want. And I'm sorry for the times in my life where I just forget that and I just go through the motions of things. And so I want to thank you for this past week and just the grace that you showed me, the mercy that you showed me, your patience. And then I pray today that as we open up the scriptures and we talk about these things with sin and salvation uh, on a very practical level, I pray, God, that you would open up our understanding and that you would convict our hearts of things that we've just been holding on to for too long, uh, maybe misconceptions that we've had about you and about ourselves in relation to sin and salvation and, and the hope that we can have in you. Um, and I pray this would not be uh, a message or a topic that we just take for granted again because it's very easy to do on these sorts of things. So help us to hear this from a new perspective uh, as if we had brand new ears. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, so the first thing is we're going to be talking about sin. Um, and so what is sin? Now, I have that definition on there, but, uh, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you were to explain sin to anybody... What would you say? What would be your explanation, your example of sin? Go ahead. Anything we think say really displeases God. Okay, good. That's a good one. That's one that we learn here in the children's ministry all the way up, and it's a very good one. Anything that you think, say, or do that is against God. What else? How else would you describe sin? Yeah. Sometimes it's things that you don't do. It's not necessarily the things that you do or that you say, but it's the things that you don't do or that you don't say. What else? How else would you describe it? Anybody else have a different one? Yeah, Ken. Corruption. Okay, corruption. Total corruption. So something that was perfect, and now it's not perfect anymore. If you had to explain it to a kindergartner, what would you say? Come on, VBSers. Anything bad. Anything bad that you do, Okay. Okay, so there's something that God wants you to do, and then you do the opposite, or something different. Yep. Anything else? Come on, let's get those creative juices flowing. Come on, come on. <laughs> if you can't explain sin, how in the world can you explain the gospel? Right? So this is something that should be like, oh, got it. I mean, come on, come on, come on. Yep. The reason why Jesus said yeah, absolutely. Yes, your conscience. It's huge. God's given you a conscience to tell you the things that are wrong. Anything else? Yep, Haley. The opposite of God. Yes, the opposite of God. All right. So this is very, very important. Very important that you guys get this stuff down. Because we sin every day. And as I prayed and things that I've been thinking about that I've been working through in my own life, Sin is something that you can just get very used to. Like, it's almost as if it's just part of who you are. And, and there are people, now don't get me wrong on this. I mean, I think you'll understand the way I'm going to say this. But there are people that just say, well, that's just the way I am. Right? They just, they just excuse it away. Well, I just, I can't, help, I can't help it. It's just how I am. And there's an element where that's true. But that's sin. I mean, the way that we are, our shortcomings, those things that make us feel like we're deficient, that we're not meeting up to the standard, 
that is normal for all of us, but it's not right. It's not right. It's something that should not exist in us, and that's why we struggle with sin. And that's why people are working very, very hard to excuse your sin and make you feel as if it's okay to sin when you know deep down it's not okay. That drives me nuts. But we do that all the time, especially as we compare ourselves with other people. All right, so open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. So according to the Bible, what is sin? 1 John chapter 3. This is probably the most direct definition that you could find in your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. And then we're going to take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, where he gives a very similar definition. And then he talks about his struggle with sin. All right, so sin, what is it? Someone read 1 John 3, 4. Sam, go ahead. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Okay, so what's the definition of sin? The transgression of the law. The transgression of the law, the transgression of the law. yes. So whose law? God's. God's law. Okay, so this is very, very simple. The sin is the transgression of the law. This is very simple, very, very basic. You guys understand this? The law of the speed limit, right? Many of you are violators of this. Um, I know that Bobby was on Saturday. He broke the law and he got pulled over. He didn't even have his license. Mercy and grace. Yes, and the cop showed you mercy and grace, especially for not having your license. That was absolutely amazing. So the law makes a statement, thou shalt not go over 35. I just thought it like that, but that'd be hilarious if it was. And yet, what do we do? Because I do this too. Ah, I can go 40. They're not going to pull me over. Because cops never pull you over for going five over. Well, some do. (laughs) Some do. I know, right? So transgression of the law. When you break the law, then you have the risk of the consequence. It's very simple to understand. So God, by his very nature, he has a law. Why does God have a law? Just think about this from a very logical, practical perspective. Why does God have a law? Okay, to prevent chaos, okay? Yeah? Yes, because he is. So anything else other than God is sin. He is the standard. Go ahead. So give like a guideline or a path back to him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what he ended up doing by giving us the law because the law, according to Galatians, is our schoolmaster that leads us unto Christ. But just think about this for a second because this is just very simple and we, we, we overcomplicate it. God made everything. Like he made everything. Therefore, he is the standard. Am I right? Okay, this is very simple. If you make a picture or a drawing or if you were to write a song or if you were to play a game or whatever, then you know that you can play better than what you played. Some of you in sports, like we totally get this. Like there's some games where I played amazing. There's some games that I totally stunk and I played terrible. There's some uh, music that I've written or some music that I play on the guitar where I've just nailed it every single time. And there's some times where I'm, I'm off. You guys know what I'm talking about with that. That you are the standard where you're like, ah, I know I can do better because you have done better. With God, you can't get any better than him. So when he makes something, he is the standard. He's made it as, as best as he possibly can. You can't improve upon it. So any variation off of that is not right. It's sin. So that's another way to explain sin. It's very easy to understand. And we all make mistakes. And it's amazing that we're all still here, by the way. Because if you run that all the way through, because God is perfect and you aren't, you are daily living in violation of the standard of God. Every day. Which could lead you down a huge rabbit hole of depression, 
and anxiety and lead you to the end of your life, which also is why people do that, by the way. Not the only reason, but that is a big backdrop reason why people end up doing that because they're not willing to get right with God. Because if you're right with God and your sin is paid for and you you now have that hope and that joy, you now love your life. I'm not saying your life is going to be easier. No, not at all. Because even being a Christian is harder. But inside you have a joy and a peace and a happiness that no one can take away from you because you are right with the creator. So it doesn't matter what happens in this life. When this life is over, you're with him for all eternity with no sin, no pain, none of that. I mean, how, how could that get any better? So it doesn't matter what happens in this life. And yet... When our thinking just completely turns and we get away from that and we focus on things in this world, what happens? What happens? Tell me. You guys know this as well as I do. What happens? What happens when you turn your eyes away from the hope that you have in Christ and you start looking and focusing on the things of this life? What happens? Misery. Sin. And that sin... Ultimately, that's the big reason behind it, leads to just everything else going wrong. Disappointment, failure, uh, insecurity. Um, I mean, you could go on and on and on and on. The root cause of all of our problems is sin. That's it. I mean, the root cause of all of your problems is sin, your sin. And so if you have someone that can take care of that for you, now what? If the root cause of all of your problems is sin, and now there's someone that can take care of that for you, now what? Yes. Because your problems are now solved. They're now fixed. The issue that we have is being humble. That's our issue. On a daily basis, that's our issue. So understanding sin. Sin is the transgression of the law of God. And so go to Romans chapter 7. I want you to see this. Because Paul knew this. There was... Uh, probably no other Christian that was as effective at the work as Paul. And in Romans chapter 7, he struggled with sin in his life. So struggling with sin, now I want you to hear me on this. Struggling with sin is not sinful. Okay? I want to make sure you guys get that. Temptation, struggling with sin, that within itself is not sinful. Do you get what I mean by that? Someone explain that to me. It's just our human nature. Yes, it's our nature. What else? Like what, what point did, does it come to where you actually sin against God? Yes, when you act on it. The struggle is not sinful. In my life, there are times where I would have desires or I would have things that I'm struggling with and I would feel bad about the struggle. Now, we should. We should feel bad about the struggle because we are sinners. But that's not sin in itself. Like you're not condemned because you struggle. We are condemned in our sin because we actually sin. I want you to get that. Because the struggle is one thing. If you struggle with sin, that's actually a pretty good sign. If you don't struggle with sin, then you're probably lost. Like if you have no struggle with sin at all, that you're like, ah, I do it and I just really don't care. Okay, well, the huge red flag should be going off because that's a huge problem. Because the spirit of God inside of you is the standard of perfection. And so if he is living inside of you and you do something that is against his standard, then he's going to be screaming at you saying, hey, you violated God's law. So if there's no struggle there, then there's a problem is the actual acting upon it 
that is what condemns us, all right? So look at Romans 7 and then take a look at verse 7. Okay, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which just means unbridled lust, for without the law, sin was dead. Now, I want to explain this just for a quick second. Because a lot of people look at this and say, well, this is talking about the written word of God or the written law. Okay, true. But if you just go back a few chapters, hold your spot here and go to Romans 2. Romans 2. Hold your spot in Romans 7. And take a look at Romans 2. We've gone through this passage, I mean, a plethora of times. Romans 2, it says in verse 13... For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. But then look at 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, so they don't have the written law per se, do by nature the things contained in the law, these not having law are a law unto themselves. So even though you may not have a written law, so this goes for anybody, all humanity across the world, even if somebody does not have the written word of God, they are still held by the standard of God's law. Because every single person has a copy of, of God's law written on their heart. And that's what the next verse says. Which show the work of the law written in their, what is it? Hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So you and I have God's law written on our hearts. And when we violate the law of God, our conscience bears witness to that law and tells us that we violated it. And then the thoughts you have either say, I'm guilty that's right. My conscience is totally right. I am wrong. Or, eh, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. It's really not that bad. And it just excuses it away. That's what that verse tells us. Got that? Okay. So now back to Romans 7. Verse 7. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had, had said, thou shalt not covet. You don't need anyone to tell you that it's wrong to covet. You don't need anyone to tell you that lusting is wrong. There's something inside of you that tells you that. I don't need to stand up here with an open Bible and tell you, well, this is what the Bible says. You shouldn't lust. We all know that. It's innate. It's written inside of you. It's in your heart. Okay? So that's why it says that sin takes occasion by the commandment and it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. So what happens is, and you guys know this, it's the forbidden fruit curse, okay? I see this all the time in my kids. Lucy, especially, right now, two-year-old, they'd be like, Lucy, don't. And what does she want to do? Like, she's going to be reaching for something. Lucy, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't. And then like, ah! And then I'm like, you're going to get a spanking. I mean, there's something inside of her where she does that. So there's something in you that when you know you're not supposed to do something, that's the thing that you want to do. And if you think otherwise, you're lying to yourself. Let me give you a great example. You guys know from a biblical perspective that it is against God's perfection, his standard of perfection, to have sex before marriage. Right? Or any fornication whatsoever. Guys, right? And yet, when there is opportunity, what do we do? We entertain it. We entertain the thought of it, and we often do it. 
Now, guys are not the only ones that struggle with this. I totally get that. But I'm just pointing you guys out because you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm a dude. I get it. And I'm telling you that's how it works. Sin takes advantage of the law and says, "Mm, you're not supposed to do it. Your flesh is like, you're not supposed to do that. But you really want it. You really, really want it. You know you want it. And it tries to keep convincing you and convincing you and tempting you and tempting you, making you struggle until you actually do it. Have we all been there? Yes, we have. This is a huge problem that we have. And this is one of the reasons why, number two, look at this. What is the purpose of sin? And you can read the rest of Romans 7 later. It's a great encouragement to me whenever I read through it because I know that if Paul struggled with sin, then I'm not alone. But the purpose of it, it is to destroy the works of God. It is to destroy the works of God. Go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. The reason why you and I are unfruitful in the work of God is because we entertain sin in our life. We allow sin to take hold of us, our hearts, our choices, our minds, our bodies, everything, and then it completely disarms us to be able to do the work of God. That's really why we're not effective. We're not effective for the Lord because we choose to sin over obeying God. That's really, if if I could just bottom line it, that's what it is. That's what it is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Go over to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Verse 15. And this is why God says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, these two verses, these two passages really help me out a lot. Number one, sin destroys the work of God. That's why Jesus came, because he came to destroy the works of the devil. Sin completely disables you from being able to do the work of God. It completely just stops any potential that you have to honor and to glorify God and to bear fruit and to keep that fruit remaining unto God's glory. It just, it does, okay? And then this passage in chapter two, you have to understand this lust that we have, this lust to sin that we have, verse 17, the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth will of God abideth forever. One of the things that's really helped me out just personally, just to kind of let you guys in on my life a little bit, is that when I'm struggling with sin, because all sin is is just lusting to do something wrong. That's really what it is. So you can boil it all down to lust. But if I'm lusting after something, if I'm lusting to do something that is against God, what really helps me is understanding that this stuff is all going to go away. Like all this stuff that I lust after, it's going to end. It's going to be over. And then it's going to be me and God. And then I'm going to be in a position where I chose to hold on to this stuff that's going away rather than him who I'm going to be with for all eternity, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But yet I struggle. We all struggle, but it's not worth it. Like these desires that you have to, to do this and to go here and to speak like that and to take part in this and to, all those things, I mean, if you could just light a match, it's going to be gone. Like it's going to be gone, gone. 
Like it's not even going to exist anymore. And then you and I are going to stand before God for all eternity knowing that we chose to hold on to those things that are going to go away in shame, standing before God, knowing that we should have held on to him. See, that kind of stuff helps me to let go of this nonsense that keeps holding me back from from serving God, from doing what I've been created to do. I mean, all, all those things, it just goes away when I have that perspective. When I lose that, then I get back into, no, these things, this is my life, this is what's going on, this is what I want. But that's not true. It's not true. So you got to believe that. You have to. If you're not going to believe that, then you're never going to be fruitful. But that is the core reason why we're not as faithful as we should, because we love our sin way too much. So where did it come from? Where did it come from? We spent some time uh, over the weeks past, and we already just read 1 John chapter 3. It originated with the devil. He was the first one to sin. He brought sin into all of existence, and then it has been passed down from Adam through all humanity, because Romans 5.12, you want to have that one memorized? Yeah, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so, yes, for all have sinned, all right? So, death passed upon all men for all, and for that all have sinned, okay? So, it is passed down through Adam, because Adam made a choice to follow after the devil and to sin against God, and it is destroying God's work left and right all over the world, and yet God... Uh, has a plan, and that's why we're going to talk a little bit about salvation. So we're going to bust through this. All right. So what is salvation? And I am so thankful for salvation. I, you know, I think if there's any, if there's anything that's probably, I mean, it's up there. One of the things that we struggle with the most that we should not is taking salvation for granted. Those of you that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you sometimes forget how precious that is, how um, priceless that is, how amazing that that is. And that's also another reason why you sin, because you forget what you have. You forget what God has done. Because, I mean, think about this, and you can answer this, and you can give me the book answer on it, but I want you to really think about this with your heart, just for a minute. I just want you to just settle for a second. I want you to focus. I want you to think about this. If you did not have the redemption that is in the blood of Jesus Christ covering your sin, what would be your destiny? Where would you go? What would happen? All right, somebody give me the book answer. Hell. We just talked about that not that long ago. Hell, and then after spending the rest of human timeline humanity the timeline of humanity in hell you would then be cast out of hell to stand before god at the great white throne judgment and you will answer for your sins people will say well only god can judge me yeah you're right he will and he will judge you according to your works like the bible says in revelation chapter 19 and at the end of all that it's going to come down and he's going to go through the list the book of life he's going to go through all the lists of all the names and there's a spot there that should have been yours, but it's been blotted out. Completely blotted out because you chose not to receive the blood of Jesus Christ or that it wasn't available to you, just, just for example's sake. And because your name's not written in the book of life, you then would be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. For all eternity. 
you would be alive day and night, suffering in the lake of fire, separated from God, with no rest, and that is what you deserve. You start thinking about stuff like that, and you start thinking, that is what I deserve. I'm telling you, it changes your life. Because you and I, that is what you and I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to be cast out of hell, judged before God for my works, and I deserve to be thrown into the lake of fire. That is what I deserve. I deserve to be separated from from God for all eternity. I deserve to suffer for my sins and pay for my sins for all eternity. That is what I deserve. And you start really thinking about that, and then you understand that God redeemed you from that. It is a very small thing for me to look at God and say, Life is yours. I mean, it's all yours. I belong to you because of what you've done for me. And we take this so for granted. What is wrong with us? Why do we do that? We come to church and we play these games and we do these things and it doesn't mean jack. And no wonder why we're not reaching people. No wonder why we don't have a heart for the lost or for our family. For taking the next step in our walk with God because we just, it's all about us. And that's the wrong perspective. And the reason why you and I are unfaithful is because we've made it all about us. That's why on Wednesday nights we're talking about Laodicea. This is our problem. We make it all about us. And that's fine. Go ahead and do that. If you make it all about you, just have at it. And then at the end of your life, if you're saved, you're going to realize how much you wasted. And if you're lost, you're going to go to hell and you're going to realize this is what I deserved anyway. And that's going to be the end. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. It doesn't have to be. And that's why we need to change our perspective, change our mindset, believe the scriptures for crying out loud for at least once. Just believe what the Bible says and act on it and do something about it. Your life is going to be over before you know it. And these things that you struggle with are meaningless. They mean nothing compared to eternity. And yet we think it's everything. We need to believe God and believe the Bible. Open up our eyes and our understanding and actually start living our life for once. That's what we need to do. This plan of salvation is the most amazing thing that I've ever heard of. It was a plan authored by God to redeem and restore humanity out of sin into righteousness, which we don't even deserve whatsoever. And yet he did that for us. And that's why Acts 4.12 says that there's no other name given to men under heaven whereby we must be saved. It's an important verse. It's true. And so what's the purpose of salvation? The purpose of salvation is to bring all that receive it into a proper, loving, permanent, and real relationship with God for his honor and for his glory. Go to Exodus 13. Exodus 13. And we'll end at this passage. And I want you to see this because this is such a beautiful picture of salvation. There are types in the Old Testament that just paint these things so much better than I could ever make up. All right. Exodus 13. Okay, verse 12. And it says, That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, that means it's, it's birthed, it's born, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the male shall be the Lord's. Then look at verse 13. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man among thy children thou shalt redeem. Do you see what God just did there? He compared two things. The firstling of an ass 
to what? Nope, he didn't compare it to a lamb. What did he compare it to? Man. Whosoever is born of man. That's what it says. All the firstborn of man. So he took the firstborn of an ass and he compared it to the firstborn of man. Think God's trying to paint you a picture? You and I are asses. Okay? And I'm using that from a Bible perspective because a donkey, an ass, is a stubborn, stubborn beast. And you cannot, you cannot make an ass do something that it does not want to do. It's just not going to happen. And so here God makes this correlation on purpose. And by the way, there's a reason why that's been turned into a curse word. It's totally biblical, by the way. I'm not going around saying that, but I get it. All right. But think about it for a second. It says, every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a a lamb. Okay, so if you want that ass to live, then you have to kill a lamb in order for that ass to live. If you're not willing to keep that ass, then you need to break its neck. You need to kill it. It's dead. It doesn't deserve to live. Likewise, firstborn of man, that man must be redeemed by a lamb. Do you see that? God didn't give an option. He didn't say, ah, if you don't want to redeem him, then we're just going to break his neck. No, that firstling of a man is going to be redeemed by a lamb. Do you see God's heart there? Completely different. That's you and that's me. That's God's heart for you. You and I don't deserve it, but that's what he gave us. And that is stinking amazing. Amazing. You need to understand that. You really need to get that in your heart. It's so important. He desires for all to receive it, knowing that all wouldn't, but he desires for all to receive it. And his purpose is to bring in us into a proper, loving, and permanent and real relationship with God. All right, so where does it come from? We've already talked about this a little bit, and you can look up these verses later. It began in the heart of God, was realized by his incarnation, was authored by his blood, was established by his resurrection, and is available for all. And I love that about our God. And so I don't know what you guys pulled out from all this, but I hope that it's something that you can really hang on to because I think that there is so much that we take for granted. We just get so used to God. We get so used to the Bible. We get so used to church. We get so used to, so used to, so used to, so used to that we devalue the gift that you have. And if you devalue the gift of the gospel, the gift of Jesus Christ, the gift of his blood upon your life, then you will treat it like trash and you will go and you will live however you want. And I have a feeling, it's just a feeling that there are many of us in this room today that are struggling with that. And the reason why we're not living the way that we ought to is because we've forgotten. We've forgotten. I was thinking about an illustration and uh, kind of freaks me out to even try this, but I know that it's possible. So in my hand, I have a permanent marker, okay? And you know you're never supposed to use a permanent marker on a whiteboard, right? So, that's us, okay? Permanent marker, can't, cannot wipe that bad boy off, no matter what you can do. That's us. In our lost condition, that is us. Absolutely us. So, pick red for the blood of Jesus Christ. He chose to come in. Of course, I picked the jacked one. Come on, come on. Stay with me.
Stay with me. Come on, Red. It's not a Jesus marker, so it's probably not going to work as well. All right, let's use the second member of the Trinity. The third member. <laughs> but I want you just to see this for a second, okay? Let's get all this out of here. Make sure that we're covering all our bases so that way I don't have to buy a new whiteboard. as an illustration for a second. How much marker did it take to get rid of all that permanent marker? A buttload. That is the biblical term, a buttload. Think about this for a second. Jesus Christ, God. God, it took God to have to die for you. Your sin was so great that God had to die for you. Not another man, God. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't. Please, please, your life, the fruit that you need to bear to honor and glorify God, people's souls, there's so much that's on the line. Your future, the future of this church. I mean, one day we're all going to stand around the throne of God. That's one of the passages I want to take a look at. We're all going to stand around the throne of God. Every tongue, every kindred, every tribe, every nation, we're going to stand before God. And we're going to be able to give him honor and glory. Why? Not because of what you and I did in this life for him. That's just a bonus. We're going to give him honor and glory because of Jesus Christ and that he redeemed us. That's the number one thing that they praise God for in heaven. Do you realize that? That's the number one thing that they praise God for. And I think that's like the last thing on our list as Christians today. That's a huge problem that we have. Huge. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that we would uh, allow ourselves to be transformed by the hearing of your word this morning and that we would um, just choose to be different, not because of um, anything else other than that we should honor you. The gift you've given us through your son has been greatly devalued in our church age, and I pray that we would stop doing that. So help us, God. We need your help in order to glorify you, but it really begins with us first and really giving you our hearts on a daily basis, praying for one another, having a heart for the people around us, and um, we just need your help. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.